Will you turn in your Bibles, please, to Second Timothy? While no uh, topics were assigned for the evening services, the public services in this conference, I had hoped to be able to say something about the general topic, which is uh, identification. And you know it got to be nearer and nearer to the time of meeting, and I didn't have what, as they say today, sent me. <laughs> Nothing that really sent me until uh, last Thursday night. I thought, wouldn't it be good to go into the word and the doctrine of identification as such? So I got up out of bed as usual, and I sat down in the living room, and I didn't open a thing, didn't open my Bible, just thought a little, and I realized, of course, that the word identification in the English, the English word, is not found in the Pauline epistles, at least, as the word rapture is not, but the subject is certainly there. And... Uh, I began to think of the different phases of adoption. I took then first my English dictionary and looked up, I beg your pardon, I meant identification. I took my English dictionary and I looked up the word identification and uh, found that there are several different meanings to the word as there are to the subject in the word itself, in the word of God. But it's not like some other words. You take, for example, the word fast. Now, you can stand fast or you can run fast. <laughs> One is the opposite of the other. You can fast or you can live fast, and they're opposite, too. But it's not like that with this word. It rather is a narrowing down of the same thought in the different phases of identification. For example, there is an identification that we would describe as association, or rather has the idea of association in it. Don't you be seen too often walking down the street with that gangster, or they'll identify you with him. They'll say, you're just as bad as he is. You're one of that kind. Instead of... Uh, John D. Rockefeller, that he had a distant relative that was trying to establish a business, but he couldn't get investors enough to establish it. And Rockefeller said to his relative, I tell you what we'll do. We'll go to my club and we'll just walk through the club together. That's all. That's, uh, that's as far as I'll go. Then I'll go out and I'll get into my limousine you come back in and just sit in a chair and read a magazine or something. The rest will take care of itself. So they walked through the club arm in arm, and uh, John D. left his nephew, I believe it was, and he came back in and sat in a chair and began to read a magazine, but he hadn't read many sentences before someone was at his side and said, uh, we haven't met yet, have we? I don't recall meeting you. He said, no, and introduced himself. What business are you in? <laughs> and uh, before you know it, there was a whole group around him. They all want to know what business he was in. 
and he had investors aplenty, had no trouble at all getting that business started. There are many people, I am sure an increasing number, who have been identifying themselves with the Berean Bible Fellowship. We're glad for that. They're showing their colors. They're standing up to be counted when they do so. And now please, you who have not joined, don't think for a moment that I mean you're not showing your colors. Uh, I'm sure many of you are. But certainly those who join and identify themselves with the Berean Bible Fellowship. Will you get the cards, please, Ralph, now? <laughs> but uh, those who uh, identify themselves with the Berean Bible Fellowship cannot very well do so without showing their colors. This is what I believe, and this is what I stand for. So that's one kind of identification. It's a very broad kind. Then uh, you narrow it down a little bit, and uh, you picture perhaps the lady in the store looking at a rack of dresses. And uh, she's looking through, and she says, as she sees this one, didn't I see one just like that back there? And she takes it out and brings it to the other, and she says, why, these are identical, you see. They're identical. Now, they're not the same dress, but they're exactly the same. One is exactly like the other. She says they're identical. Now there is something closer than that, something closer than sameness, self-sameness. Here is a man, we'll say, behind the one-way glass, and out there are some convicts standing in a row. And the officer says to the man, do you recognize the the burglar there? Yes, that's the that's self-same man. Now, it's not one like him. It's not one who is just the same, but it is the self-same man. That is the man. Now, he has identified it, you see. That's what the Bible calls oneness or unity. One, oneness, that's what unity really is. And here is the body of Christ composed of many members, but you belong to the self-same body as you do, you see. Just one person, and we are all members of that one body. Then there is what we might call, for want of a better word, individuality. Every human being is an individual, every tree, every flower every star. They all have their own individuality. And I say to a friend, uh, can you identify that tree? I don't mean can you become one with it. Can you identify that tree? He says, yeah, that's an oak tree. What about that one? That's an elm. That one, that's a fir tree. He has identified those trees. Now that's even a little farther than oneness. <laughs> that is individuality, different difference from all others, you see. Now, as I went into, that's all from the English dictionary, I haven't gone into the Word of God, but evidently our English word identification is a very good word for the subject discussed in the Bible. For we have that narrowing down and bringing closer and closer in the Word of God as well concerning the subject of identification. 
Let's look, please, at 2 Timothy 1 first. And here we have that idea of association, being identified with in the sense that I stand with him and I want to be known as being with him and belonging to him. 2 Timothy 1, verses 7. We should read 7 as well as 8, for they surely go together. Timothy was a timid man. And you can gather that from much that Paul writes to him. So different from Titus, that rough-and-tumble he-man, if you please, was Titus, the delicate young man whom Paul called his son in the faith. He writes to him about his mother, about his grandmother, about his tears, about his often infirmities. He tells him to, he prescribes medicine for his delicate health. He uh, tells him, be a good soldier. Who do you tell that to? The boy, when he's afraid to take his medicine, doesn't want to take his, be a good soldier. Somebody that's afraid of something. That's how Paul writes to Timothy. And here he says, God hath not given us the spirit of fear. That doesn't come from God, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. What a combination. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. That's a beautiful passage, isn't it? But the central part of it is, the gist of it is, don't be ashamed to stand up for the Lord's testimony. That is the message that he wants us to deliver today. Don't be ashamed to do it. And don't be ashamed of me for doing it. I remember years ago, a man said to me, I, I believe this message with all my heart, and I stand for it too, but I, I don't want to be linked with O'Hare. <laughs> he said, if you don't stand for the man that's proclaiming the message, maybe you don't stand for the message either. He says, don't be ashamed of the testimony, and don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. I wonder if I can find right here uh, in 2 Timothy 4, let's just see now, and, uh, well, I don't know if I can. The, um, well, it's all right, it's not right there then, but the household of Onesiphorus. What a beautiful example of this kind of courage and faith. He had a sound mind, he had courage, and uh, when he came to Rome, he could have done what so many others had done. They left Paul, they left him all alone. At his first answer before Nero, nobody stood with him, nobody. And he was all alone except that the Lord stood with him. But when Onesiphorus got to Rome, if he didn't specially go for that reason, he says, oh, may the Lord have mercy on his household. He sought me out very diligently and found me. He could have said, I looked and looked and I couldn't find him. He could have said halfway through his search, 
Well, I can tell him I tried anyway, you see, but he didn't. And he came again and again and again with his family. And he said, how often he refreshed me. Isn't it a refreshing thing to think of Onesiphorus saying to his family, come on, we're going to go see Paul. Maybe one of the children say, but Dad, you know what's happening to some people that are seen with him now. Isn't it a little dangerous? Listen, the Lord will take care of us. Come on, we're going to see Paul. Let's not think of what's going to happen to us, what's going to happen to him if we don't see him. He's in a very discouraging situation. And he sought me out very diligently and found me, and he and his family came again and again and again and refreshed the Apostle Paul. Now, that's one kind of identification. Look, please, at the second chapter. Did anybody find that verse for me? Where is it? Oh, 116. Excuse me. I thought it was 416. It's 116. All right. Now, please look at 2 Timothy 2, verses 12 and 13. And I'm not reading from Matthew here. I'm reading from Paul's epistles. Verse 12, if we suffer, we shall also reign. If we deny him, he also will deny us. I know this only has to do with our service. That doesn't mean we'll be lost. doesn't mean he'll give us up or cast us out. But it does have to do with our service, and I'm sure at the judgment seat of Christ. If we suffer, we'll reign with him. If we deny him, he'll deny us. If we're unfaithful, he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. So much for that first and broadest aspect of identification. I want to be known as being one with him in this, at least. Now then, let's think of the idea of sameness, being like another. Turn, please, to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What is the idea there? You be like he was in this, you see. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. I'm sure in this audience I do not need to show how every step is one step further down. He humbles himself to a greater and greater and greater degree. He made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Well, he could have been Michael or Gabriel and have been a servant. Ah, but he goes on further, was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as an ordinary man, that is. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death as far as death even the death of the cross. And he says, you be like that. Wouldn't it do us all good, beloved? And I must, and I'm not trying at all to be humble now. I'm trying to ask God to help me start to be a little humble. <laughs> Wouldn't it do us all good? Shouldn't 
you join me in reading this passage again and again and again and just thinking. Just thinking, God help me. How pride wells up in the human heart. How that ego wants to be known, wants to be seen, wants to be heard. Let us ask God, oh, help me to be identified with him. The idea is really to be identical with him in this. The third chapter. Here the apostle brings himself in again. In both cases so far, it's been the Lord and himself. Chapter 3, beginning at verse 13 through 17. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I'm sure in what, what we were just talking about, he hadn't apprehended yet, and we haven't. I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark, I strain toward the goal for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect in the, in the, the idea of being full-grown and mature, be thus-minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise-minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by that same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. Do you get it? I've not yet attained. Do you think I'm perfect? Some people seem somehow to give our friendly opponents uh, space and room when they say that or give the impression that Paul was perfect. So constantly filled with the Holy Spirit that there was no pride, nothing ever wrong. Why, he answers that himself. In me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. When I want to do good, evil is present with me. The good that I would, I don't do, and the evil that I would not, I find myself doing. He had the same evil nature that we do. And here he says, well, I haven't yet attained, I'm not yet perfect, but one thing I've made a rule, this one thing I do, I forget what's behind. If we remember our failures, wouldn't it be apt to discourage us? If we recall our, in quotes, successes, wouldn't that be apt to puff us up? Paul says, I forget it all and I just keep that goal, the goal, the goal in mind. I just keep that in mind and I run. That's what the one thing I do. And he says, now be followers together. Let's all the run, run the race that way. Be followers together of me and walk so as ye have us. For an example, the Riverdale Bible Church at that time, Brother Wasson was pastor, invited me to one of their picnics, and I had to bring a little message there, and I did. And uh, it was great fun to watch the little children in their races. 
And there was this little girl, which it was a little girl's race, and she outstripped all the others. She was going to win handsomely. She was way ahead of them until she looked around to see how far ahead she was. And she stumbled, <laughs> you know, and she had to get up again, and somebody else won the race. And that's how it happens with us. I'm so glad that we have this scripture because I've been able to write to many people who write in. There's a young girl wrote me just last week or I received the letter just last week. I felt so sorry for that dear teenage girl. She had been uh, high on dope and had even gotten as far as heroin and had to take withdrawal courses or whatever you call them and now she had been saved, and she was out of it. She said, thank the Lord, I have not the slightest desire to ever get back into that again. But I feel so guilty, Pastor Sam. What can I do to rid myself of this awful feeling? I'm ashamed when I see people on the street. I'm ashamed before my parents. I feel maybe I ought to go and, and uh, confess to the police because I know I broke the law. And I wrote her, don't you do any such thing. <laughs> You're not doing that now. It's all past. It's all gone. Forget it. Get wrapped up in Christ and all he's done for you. Get into that book and study the word, and that cup will soon be so full of him there won't be room for any, anything else. And that's the truth of it. And he says, you do the same thing, you see. Now, first you find the standard with Christ. There's perfection. And Paul says, let the mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. But he knows human failure. He knows how we fall short of that standard. And so he says, I know I do, but I have one rule. I just keep looking at that goal and I run for all it's worth. Now you be followers of me. Be identified with me in this. You do the same that goal and I run for all it's worth. Now you be followers of me. Be identified with me in this. You do the same. But now there's the idea of self-sameness. Now you have that in uh, John 15. Let's look at this a minute. John 15. Here there is even more of a, what shall I say, a, a separation of truth than in the two preceding phases of identification that we just looked at. The 15th of John, John's Gospel. Here Christ says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit, and so on. Now here is oneness. I'm the vine and you're the branches. They're attached together. They're one. But it's not the oneness or not the degree of oneness that we find in Paul's epistle. You say, what's the difference? He said, if you abide in me and my word abide in you, then you can ask what you want and I'll do it for you and you should abide in me and let me abide in you, and that's all there, that's all there. But it is, or he uses here the simile of the vine. It's a, can I call it a vegetable oneness? <laughs> you snip a bunch of grape off that vine, you didn't hear the vine say, ouch, 
or there was no writhing in pain or anything of the kind. The vine didn't feel it. There was a oneness. But all in Paul's epistles, we have a oneness, the oneness of the body. And that's very, very different. Let us look, please, at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning at verse 13. For by one Spirit are we baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles. May I ask you, beloved, here to try to get the feel. The usage here is very clear, and to get the feel of the meaning of baptism in such cases where we're baptized into Christ or baptized into the one body. Here the meaning is clear enough. By one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. We're all made part of that one body. As the salt permeates the meatloaf, we'll say, on which it has been sprinkled, or which it has been sprinkled, on which it has been sprinkled, that's right. As the cake takes in the sweetness that has been put into the batch that was put into the oven, so we are made one, and we have become one with each other, baptized into the body of Christ. That's a wonderful oneness, is it not? That's why I said in the beginning that you, believing friend, are the, of the self-same body as you, my believing friend, you see. It's one body and we are all members, part and parcel of that self-same body. Fourteen, for the body is not one member, but many. Now look. This is not a vegetable oneness. This is the oneness of the one body. If the foot shall say, because I'm not of the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Don't you see there are those in the church of Christ who wish they were some other member. I can't sing. I wish I could sing like he can. I can't preach. I can't do this. I can't do that. Are you therefore not of the body? Are you not therefore a living part of the one who does the preaching or does the singing? Are you not one with him? Don't you therefore, don't you belong to him as much as the foot does to the body and the eye to the head? Now then, verse 19. If they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, now here's the other side of the coin. First you have say, I'm not the eye, so I don't belong to the body. He's down. He's not happy. He wishes he were an eye instead of whatever it was he was. <laughs> he wishes he were something else. But here's the one who could look down, or does look down on another. And uh, the eye looks down at the hand and says, I don't have any need of you. 
What do we need with, uh, with that man for? Who's he? Ah, but you do need him. You do need him. Isn't it interesting how wonderfully one the body is? How does it go on here? If one member suffer, how many suffer with it? I know that. I don't like to talk about personal illnesses, and I'm, boy, I thank the Lord he's given me a strong, healthy body. But I've carried one infirmity for all my life, even when I was a child. Mother kept me in from sleigh riding. I had an allergy to cold. I'd get a headache and a sick stomach. That was it. And I've had many, 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 many of them since. And uh, it's, a, it's an infirmity. But isn't it strange? It's just here. But the whole body suffers with it. You've had that, some kind of an illness or infirmity of some kind. The whole body is affected. You can have a splinter in your finger and it'll affect your whole body. <laughs> Trying to get it out and it affects your nerves as, as it hurts, you see. So one is this wonderful, wonderful mechanism, the body. And when something happens to one part of the body, my hand or my two hands will be right there to help, you see. How we Christians ought to be standing on line, as it were, to help each other. How we, how we ought to re react so naturally and so spontaneously to help one another where there are infirmities and weaknesses. Well, verse 27. Now, ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. So we are all members of the body of Christ. Some say you don't find that in 1 Corinthians 12, but you do, just like you do in Ephesians and Colossians. He is the head of the body, and we're the body of the head, you see. We're the body, and he uses the eye and the ear, sure, as illustrations, but it still is one body and one head, and he does all the thinking and all the spontaneous, natural, loving reaction of believers who are standing to help believers who are falling or believers who are well and sound spiritually to help those who have spiritual infirmities. All that natural affection and spontaneous love comes from the head, beloved. It comes from Christ. It's he who sends the messages down. So-and-so is in trouble. <laughs> help him, you see. Well, that's a wonderful aspect, is it not, of identification. We belong to that self same body of which Christ is the head. And we were first baptized into him. That's how we came to be members of that body. How Paul thunders it in Romans 6, 3, one of his don't you knows, don't know ye not, know ye not, that as many of us as have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death. How did you become one with Christ? It was when you came to Calvary. Oh, I may have, I'm sure I've said this before, perhaps in this audience. But this bears repeating. In case there are any who are not saved here, how did we become one with Christ? We came to Calvary and we said, that's not his death, he's dying. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth it shall die. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. By one man sin entered into the world and death by sin he didn't commit any sin but he's dying ah but he's not dying his own death well whose death is he dying he's dying my death 
And don't you see when that is accepted by faith, there is immediately a oneness. He came down to die my death. And I recognize that it is, not that it is like it, or that there's something ethereal or mystical about it. That was my death. It was my death he died, and when I see it and accept it and trust him as my Savior and Lord, immediately by that act I become one with him. There is no other way. There is no other way to become identified with Christ in this very close sense. There's no other way to become a member of that self-same body but to go to Calvary. You have to meet him at the cross. There is no other way. I don't know how many of you know what Pastor O'Hare's, that's the second time I brought him up tonight, bless his heart, how greatly he was used among us. But do you know what his favorite hymn was? Very homey hymn, but he loved it. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. That was J.C. O'Hare's favorite hymn. Well, I had more to say about that, but we can't go on forever. The clock keeps going. So turn back again, please, to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, and uh, just that 27th verse. We saw it in this latter connection. We're going to see it now in a little... Uh, still a little a narrower connection. Now ye are what? The body of Christ. That's what you are. What about identification now in this last sense that we spoke of? Can folks identify you? I said, can you identify that tree? Yes, that's an elm tree. Can you identify that bird? Yes, that's a swan. Can you identify this? Yes, I can. Are you identified? Are you easily, naturally identified and identified with him? Do people say about you, he's a Christian? Oh, I pray for that, for myself and for you, beloved, that those with whom we come into contact will naturally say, he's a Christian and will want to talk to him. Well, not necessarily. Some don't. I was in a restaurant in, uh, i tell you where, it was in Pennsylvania, near to Brother Caslander's. And uh, I just went to get bacon and eggs in the morning, and I sat at this counter, and there were some students from some college in there, and they were talking about the life hereafter and so on, and uh, they were laughing and joking about it. And... Uh, he came to me and he said, uh, makes you wonder, doesn't it? I said, uh, oh, not, I'm not wondering any longer. There's a life hereafter. And more, then he walked away. He seemed to sense immediately. Now, if I had just been uh, somebody else, uh, not a Christian, talking about religious things, he would have stayed right there. But he sensed I was a Christian. He walked right away, went to the other end of the counter, and uh, uh, I had a shout to him there. I said, just make it bacon and eggs, will you, and coffee and toast. Okay, he said, and he began making them for me. I thought, you're not going to get away with that. And I had two large cards with me in my Bible case, and I took them out, and I began writing and giving them the plan of salvation. There is a life hereafter, but the question is, how are you going to spend it? You know, what's going to happen to you? And I gave him the gospel as clearly as I could on those two cards. I had a feeling he just was not going to spend much time talking with me. So I got to the cashier's 
place, you know, desk where I was going to pay him. And I said, you asked that question a minute ago. And he said, yeah. And he kept turned right around, kept on with what he was doing, which I don't think was really so important. And I said, well, I tell you, I wrote you a little note about it. Would you do me a real favor? Take it home. And then tonight, when you have time, really thoughtfully read it and maybe even pray a little, too, that God will help you as, he read, as you read it. He said, yeah, all right. Now, he seemed all, okay now. He's not going to talk any further, you see. He was delivered from the mouth of the lion. He said, okay. And he took it, and then he seemed cheery, and I paid him his money, and I went. But the point is, people can soon recognize it. If you're just open about the Lord and not ashamed to be identified with him and talk about him and, and just naturally, don't preach to them, but do it in a natural way, they'll catch on. They'll catch on. And that's what the Lord would have of us. He would have us live lives so that they can identify us, that they'll naturally say, he's a Christian, and hopefully I wish I had what he had. Well, may this brief message prove a blessing to you and bring it a little closer to him. Thank you.